Take Podcast with Brucey Chuff and Lush. How are we, gentlemen? No, no, it's not Chop. That's not Chop. That's Brucey. Chop is away sick. He has... Actually, I don't know what he has. He has COVID. Unfortunately, he's the last of us to get it. Although Damon don't think has had it. Although I think he has had it, but he hasn't tested positive for it yet. He's also away. So I'm left here all by myself. Got no one to talk to but you guys. So work with me here. Got a lot to get through. Been a short time to do it. Don't plan on being here all night. But let's take it away. First things first. We have the food challenge next week. The wings, the devil wings. We've had it confirmed. There is no extract, chili extract that Webby brought up last week. So I don't know where we're going to sit on Tuesday night, on the 26th of July, who's going to win. I know it's not going to be Chop. He cannot handle hot food at all. No spice. When he goes to Nando's, he orders lemon and herb. So I... I Personally, feel it's between me and Damon. I think Damon's got it. Look, if I have to be honest with myself, I think Damon's got it. He's a he's a professional wings eater. I don't eat wings often. You know, very rarely. I probably eat wings maybe once every three to six months. So Damon's probably got it. We're looking forward to it. Everyone down there, sponsored by Varsity. We're at Netherlands. Um, it should be amazing. Uh, if anything, you're going to get a great laugh out of it, watching us embarrass ourselves in front of a group of people. Um, I don't know how many wings is the minimum before you can actually give up. Chop, I think, will probably go about six or seven wings. I think that's as much as he can handle. Uh, I don't even think he could handle any more if he had some, if they were just mild. So I think we'll probably end up you know, getting through the double digits. Uh, Damon should probably press into the hundreds. I feel like he can need 110 minutes. I've seen him put away a fair bit in time. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It should be interesting. When I sent to my wife that I was doing a food challenge, I I told her that, uh, um, unfortunately, I'll be you know, participating. And she said, don't do it. But it's not up to her. She's, a, she's my wife. But... Uh, the, the podcast comes first, and now we are doing the challenge next week. It's all confirmed. If there's any uh, any guys out there that um, want to actually participate with us, uh, maybe we can check on that, but it's going to be in any given take, Wings Challenge, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to come second. It's already locked in, but uh, looking forward to it. Anyway, it's been a big week, big weekend in sports. Now, generally speaking, Chop doesn't let us talk about sports until halfway through the podcast, but he's not here, and fuck him, I'm going straight for it. Cam Smith, British Open, what a win. I mean, coming into the weekend, he was probably one of the, not the favourites, but he was a, um, you know, he's probably in the top 10. He's been playing great. But whenever an Aussie wins a big major, whether it's tennis, because Nick Kyrgios, he obviously came close, Wimbledon, you know, lost to Djokovic. But no one was really supporting him. I don't doubt anyone if he won. I know personally if he won, I, I could care less. But when Cam Smith had that Sunday comeback where he came from four strokes down essentially at the start of the day to win by a stroke on the last hole is one of, if not uh, an iconic Australian sporting moment. So... To, to set the scene, Royal Mac, Rory McIlroy was the main guy. He was the the the, the, the fan favorite. He he'd been the 
the the most vocal about live golf, and I want to talk about live golf today. But it was clear everything and everyone was pulling for him. He had the he was tied for the lead on uh, after the third round, and you know, considering the three days before that, it wasn't out of the ordinary that Smith, who was four strokes down, could come back and win it. And I, you know, had a chat with a few guys who thought that yeah, he was a definite chance. Didn't put my money where my mouth is. He was paying $13 on that last day, unfortunately. But uh, we are where we are. Now, I'm probably going to suggest that if it had have been up to the um, the powers that be, that McElroy would have won the... Uh, would have won the contest. But ultimately, I think, you know, for us as Australians, Cam coming back from four strokes down will be talked about for decades. Like, it was a, a phenomenal win. Five birdies on the back nine in a row. Um, you know, he, he came from f- 14 under and he hit the lead, immediately put pressure on McElroy, who responded like he's a great He's a great golfer. No one's disputing that. But um, for Smith to get up in that last hole after Cam Young had hit an eagle, so essentially tied the lead, so he would have gone to a playoff if it had not been for the uh, Smith birdie after. But the pressure you're under with golf, I mean, I, you know, I'll have my leg shaking when I'm putting for a, maybe a, a bogey. Um yeah, which is a good good result for me and with my talent. But uh, you know, you generally would be shaking. You'd be trying to get your nerves. It's the 18th hole on the old course in St Andrews, most famous course in the world. It'd be really difficult to just to to calm to calm your your senses down and and uh, and putt for victory essentially. Because it, if you'd go to a, whenever you're uh, in a golf match and you're in the lead and you give it up. To then play the playoff, I think you know you're immediately um, on the back foot, and it's really difficult to overcome. We've seen that with Greg Norman numerous times, but ultimately, you know, for him to hit that birdie, get the win, uh, win the British Open, which is, you know, I think if you were to ask where would you rank the majors, the Masters probably is the number one. Uh, it seems to have the the capture of the world. Um, but the British Open is a close second. And a British Open at St Andrews, Scotland, uh, beautiful course. It's a Lynx course. It's yeah, it's not as picturesque from a course perspective as uh, maybe the Masters at Augusta, but it's still an amazing course. Um, you know, we hope to play it next year when we go to Scotland for um, uh, some festivities. But, you know, I'm... I'm a firm believer that if you got the opportunity to play St Andrews, you take it. And to win the British Open there, yeah, you can't get that taken away from you. And it's an iconic Australian sporting moment. And it got me thinking, well, where does it rank on the iconic Australian sporting moments? We're talking about, um, you know, probably the uh, – maybe the John Eels. Was it John Eels that kicked that uh, that field goal um, – you know, to win the match in the World Cup, or was it a Bledisloe Cup? Um, you know, you've got Stephen Bradbury. Um, you know, how many times have you heard the term he's done a Stephen Bradbury when all your opponents fall over and you come from nowhere to win? 
Um, that That is up there, obviously, in Australian sporting moments. We can't forget Shane Warne, the ball of the century, behind the legs of Gadding. Um, it's an iconic moment, you know, obviously has um, a lot more um, uh, panache considering that, you know, obviously Shane's unfortunately passed. But, you know, that's up there. You've got um, ones from back in back in the day, the um, the the Black Power salute. You know, there was an Australian there with the silver medal um, standing there supporting his brethren. But, uh, you know, it's hard. I mean... You've probably got Adam Scott's US Masters playoff win in there as well, but yeah, you know, it's where do you put the Cam Smith moment? Like the Cam Smith, do you, do you call him the? Do you call it you know somewhere around the sort of top ten, or is it you know outside of that? You know, just to mention the top four, I don't think anyone can take away from this. You got Thorpe, I think mowing down Hall in that Australian four by one hundred freestyle relay. Um, that's an iconic moment at a, at our Olympic Games. Sydney, um, Americans were raging hot favourites. Never lost a race, um, at never lost that race at any Olympic Games, and we came conquered. Um, the America's Cup, obviously, I wasn't born around that time, nineteen eighty three, but um, it's still talked about in Australian sporting folklore. You, know, you obviously got Bob Hawke talking about you know anyone who sacks um, anyone for not turning up that day they won is a bum. So um, that's probably there. Uh, my personal favourite, the Aloisi Books Australia's ticket to the 2006 World Cup. Look, in terms of um, you know, making it to a World Cup, clearly, obviously, Australians have made it 6, 10, 14, 18, 22 now. So they've made several in a row. But there was a period where you, we probably never th- we thought it was never going to happen. You know, we constantly get heartbreak after heartbreak. Um, yeah, the Argentinians in 93 when they didn't have Diego Maradona, then they give him, they bring him back. He saves and brings him to the World Cup. You know, you've got the 1997 one, which is probably the, the most heartbreaking. We're up 2-0 against Iran at home at the MCG, seemingly on our way to France. And then, you know, all of a sudden, two you know, relatively quick goals and Iran's in the World Cup and we're out. And then there was the Uruguayan uh, episode where we won 1-0 in Australia. We thought, yep, this is the year. We're going to go to Uruguay. We're going to hold them out. No, nah, got, you know, pretty handled pretty easily, to be honest, 3-0 over there. So that 2000, yeah, it was obviously in 2005, but it was for the 2006 World Cup. It was iconic, um Again against Uruguay, a nemesis. Um, not, I wouldn't say we came from nowhere. We were. We look at that team now, and you go, well, really, they should have made the World Cup. I mean, it was a different pathway. You had to. It was Oceania. You had then had to beat a South American opponent, which is very difficult compared to now. Obviously, you yeah, go through Asia a lot easier um, relative because you got group games. It's not sudden death as much. Um, so that team on paper is probably the best Australian team of all time, the golden generation. Kiel, Viduka, Aloisi, um, you got Lucas Neal. Um, we talked about this, but you know, essentially that was you know, a, a collection of superstars. That penalty, I remember at the time, it was just massive. I've, I've never seen Australia captured as much as, as it was at that time. 
Like it wasn't a, um, you know, only certain soccer followers would know about it and got excited about it. No, this was the entire country. Everyone would have been watching. If you weren't watching, you were probably working. And if you weren't working and you weren't watching, we probably don't have any time for you anyway. And for that moment, it's still up there. Still, that, That's for me number one. Although close second, Kathy Freeman wins gold in Sydney. Famous victory. Obviously, Bruce McEvaney's com- commentary was huge. Now, that probably means more to the call it the the culture of Australia. I'd probably say that. I mean, you have an Indigenous woman, Kathy, winning a, a famous Olympic race, the four hundred meters. Um, again, at the home Olympics, it still. Whenever you see a an Australian sporting montage, you're going to see that moment. Um, you know, her in that full body suit, you, know, you can still picture it to this day, probably until our dying days. But um, I don't know if the Cam Smith moment comes up to those four. Uh, it's probably competing for the remaining spots in the top ten, but it's still iconic. It is one of the iconic sporting moments, even though it's only just happened to come from full back to win the British Open, the 150th British Open at St Andrews, it's still to this day the um, the best course in no, – no, not the best course, the most iconic course in the world. Um, but then, you know, Cam Smith's had this great win and, you know, and he's sitting in the press conference, he's lapping it up, he's enjoying it. But we can't hide from the fact that lived golf is prevalent. Very controversial, Saudi-backed golf league, looking to, um, yeah, to essentially fuck shit up. Now, if if it was me, full disclosure, someone offered me fucking ninety million, even fifty, you know, and I hadn't earned that in my lifetime, and it was multiples of what I could potentially earn, I'd probably take it. Now, you know. I don't have a strong affiliate. I love golf. I've just taken it up recently, really gone into it, watch a lot, um, trying to play as much as I can. Difficult at the moment with young family, but I'm enjoying golf. But I'm, I don't have a connection with the PGA Tour. I enjoy watching it, but it's you know nothing that I – if it if Live Golf started taking on more of these tournaments, I'd, I'd just watch Live Golf. But – I can understand because I compare it to the European Super League last year when, you know, the big European football clubs tried to break away and form their own league. I was vehemently against that. You know, I remember saying at the time that it was driven by greed, driven by um, the inability to accept that it's sporting competition. Now, I don't think that's exactly the same as this because obviously they're still competing the these golfers are essentially subcontractors. They're entitled to take up positions in another league. But obviously the PGA Tour is now saying you cannot play in their league. You play on the PGA Tour if you play in Lith Golf. I don't think Lith Golf is saying, well, you can't play on the PGA Tour. They're saying, well, um, yeah, you can play both if you can or you can play in as many tournaments as you want. It's up to you. But we're going to pay you to play in this league, to play – 10 tournaments a year, which is fuck all compared to what they play now. So if you had to put into perspective, if you got to have, say, you you compete for, you know, 10 weekends a year plus the four majors, you have the rest of the year off 
and you still earn, yeah, you're talking eight figures minimum, you probably take that. I don't think there's a person in the world that can sit here and say they wouldn't consider it. Majority of us would take it, which, you know, they seem to to sort of be, you know, getting pl- a player after player after player. And they asked Cam Smith because there's rumours out there that he will join the goal and he, you know, brushed it aside, but he didn't deny it. So, you know, I personally believe he's probably waiting till the end of the year where he probably he he may announce that he's going to live golf, but this would be a huge, huge get for Liv. I mean, the number three golfer probably on his on his way to be number one for the year. Um, young, twenty eight, in the peak of his powers, and if the PGA Tour says, well, you if you play with golf, you no longer play in the PGA Tour, they're losing a lot of talent. Now, I'm not cheering for either whatever. Just want to see some good golf. Happy with that, but you know. I personally believe there's a little bit of um, hypocritical analysis out here. I mean, they're they're going about and saying Saudis are sports watching, which they probably are. Um, We know the the shit that they've done. We know that they're not exactly above board. But we're talking about the United States of America here where they have mass killings three times a day and they essentially fund terrorists because – I don't differentiate between a terrorist and a and a mass murder murderer. I think they're they're both the same. I think they're both as evil as you can get. So, I think you, you can have a you can. I think you can sit. You can't sit here and say to me that oh, because the Saudis had uh, people who were born in their country and became terrorists. You can't say that that's any worse than people who were born in the United States of America and start shooting up people for no reason. So um, that's where I stand. I don't particularly buy into that, um, you know, the, you know, these guys who are playing in this golf league are greedy. We all have an element of greed in us. Like, clearly we do. We work as hard as we possibly can to earn as much money as we can to make us our own lives better. There has to be some sort of selfishness in that. You can't sit here and tell me that we don't have some element of greed. Granted, you know, major respect for anyone who doesn't want to participate in the golf league because they want to support the PGA Tour. That's great. You know, each to their own. I don't necessarily believe it's the it's the only way to to um, uh, to play. I mean, if you can get a bunch of money and play less, why wouldn't you? But, you know, I don't have an affiliation with the PGA. So, the way I see it is that eventually Liv will keep taking golfers because they've got bucket loads of money and they're not going anywhere. This isn't a you know um, a high net worth investor who's got a lot of money, but there's an, an end point for them. We're talking about Saudi Arabia here, probably on a per-person basis, probably one of the richest countries in the world. Not probably, they are, are one of the richest countries in the world on a per-person um, you know, basis, but... They're, they've got they they got endless amount of funding. They're going to take players. Eventually, the PGA has got to come to the table, and they've got to say, to protect our league, we're going to allow live players to play. That's the only way. That's the only way this thing can be resolved, um, because the threat of expulsion from the PGA Tour um, isn't to, isn't. Uh, getting these players to not commit to lead golf. And then they've signed up some really good players so far and they probably will continue to sign up a few more. Um, the only thing that, you know, 
maybe we'll let uh, people not necessarily second guess, but maybe consider it is if they don't bring in the ranking points for the majors. So if you can play the majors, that's the that's why you play golf. So interesting. I don't know if um, it will be resolved anytime soon, but that's the way I see it happening. Um, but yeah, anyway, like I think if you were to to tell me that um, uh, they both could coexist, I'd say yeah, easily. Like why wouldn't they? Man, want to play more golf? Play more golf. You know, I'm trying to play three times this week. Yeah, Chop's trying to put a, a dampener on the Saturday version in Mandra, but uh, um, yeah, we'll play rain, hail, or shine. Uh, speaking of shine, um, AFL now. Damon's not here to talk about it, so we'll discuss it. But Geelong's clearly the best side in the comp at the moment, playing the best footy. I had them out of the eight at the start of the year. I got them wrong. I thought they were getting too old. Their their list hasn't hadn't improved year on year. They essentially didn't really bring anyone in of note, although Stangle's been a, a good addition, but a couple of the younger players have stepped up. But what surprised me most is how well they're playing in terms of an attacking brand. It's different to previous years. I felt like they won because they were experienced. They made less unforced errors, kind of like the Roger Federer now. You know, he can still win because he makes less errors, but when he comes up against, you know, superior talent, gets found out. I don't think that's the case. I think they're they're on the path. I think round eight. Where are we? Round eighteen at the moment. Um, we're probably looking at something that, you know, suggests maybe they are peaking a little bit too early. Um, it's my only hope. I don't like the cats at all, but uh, um, you know maybe they can you know, drop off come finals time. But they're experienced. They look good. They pretty much handled Carlton. I wouldn't say they belted them, but they handled them. Not in a way that uh, would scare other other teams, but in a way that was clearly like they had the measure. And they did it a week before against Melbourne. I think they've won eight in a row or something like this at, at the moment. So they're, they're looking pretty good. Um, but footy's a, a crazy game. I can see them losing to Port in Adelaide this weekend. But uh, we'll see. I got, you know, I'm not sure. But the upset of the weekend was North against Richmond. Now, I remember sort of growing up as an AFL you know, diehard that – Richmond used to just do dumb shit all the time. Just find a way to lose the unlosable and um, get everyone all hyped, get them all up and about and then lose a big final at home to a, an inferior team. Um, you know, they 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 didn't have that many finals appearance for in the 90s. But then it all changed. So that 2017 flag just... Flipped it. Richmond all of a sudden became this dominant team. You know, won another couple of flags. Yeah, you know, was it three and four years? Um, won back to back. You know, probably should have won in twenty eighteen. Just got a little bit ahead of themselves against Collingwood. I think if they made the grand final, they'd probably win it. But they're back. The Richmond, Richmondies. That sort of term is like. I think it could be back. They lost to the Gold Coast when they shouldn't have lost. They had no business losing that game. They were four goals up with five minutes to go. Um, you know, lose that after the siren. Then play North, probably the worst team we've seen in, in a couple of decades, the worst team we've seen since Fitzroy. Now, ultimately, 
they probably should have won. If that game's played ten times, they win nine easily. But to lose that, it's you know they're still going to make the finals because they've got an easy run home. But yeah, it's it's not. I'm I'm, I'm quietly hoping hoping Richmond is back because it's quite funny. It's interesting. They always do dumb shit. You know, you, it's 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 a better league when Richmond's doing you know Richmondy things. So let's hope they're back. Uh, the Dockers losing to the Swans at home, disappointing loss. If you're the Dockers, you had the the chance to tie the top of the ladder. You know, put yourself up there with Geelong and Melbourne, separate yourself from um, you know the the bottom four of the eight. Um, give yourself a real shot at a home final, home qualifying final, um, and a chance at a prelim. You know, I always say you win that first week, you're in the prelim. You've got a home prelim. You're a better than 65%. I reckon you're probably a 70% chance of making the grand final. And then you're in the grand final, anything can happen. So it's a, like a missed opportunity. Like I do want to see Frio win a flag. I think it would be it'd be great for WA just to see them upset um, the other half. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm vocal about not being a fan of the Eagles and – you know, personally, I don't know if there is anyone out there that uh, doesn't support the Eagles that likes them, but uh, I'd like to see Frio you know, win a flag just to see what it would do, see what it would upset a few people. Um, but, you know, that's probably going to come back and bite them in the ass, that, that result. Um, they were up by four, four goals at some point in the game. So, And then, you know, the big result of the weekend, the Hawks winning against the Eagles in a really nothing game. In front of barely anyone at the MCG, yeah. Look, to be honest, I didn't really particularly. I say, look, I, you always want to win when the game starts, but yeah, I look at the ladder now. We're sitting at thirteenth. Now we're, we're the sixth pick in the draft potentially. Got to hope that Essendon keep winning. And then maybe fall into that fifth pick. You know, maybe Judas can sneak another win. But ideally, I, I would want to win more than one more game for the rest of the year. Uh, you know, we've got North this week, which, you know, yeah, maybe we can lose, but we'll probably win that one. And then we should lose the the remaining three. I hope so anyway. Like, I don't want to end up eight or nine wins and, you know, sit at, you know, we probably won't get to 12th and later, so we're probably stuck at 13th. But um, let's work our way down, Hawkers. All right? There's no point. Yeah, 13th is bullshit. Let's just get to the... The 14th, 15th position, get ourselves fourth or fifth pick. Let's not muck around here. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not a, it's not, um, uh, it's not in our business to be a nine-win team this year. It's just silly. Let's uh, six or seven wins. Yeah, been competitive most of the year. That's enough for me. Um, I don't think we need to do any more than that. Um, on another note, we're into the AFL Fantasy Finals. Chop lost his last six games, missed the finals, traded as if he was making the finals and then lost every single game for the rest of the year and, and finished just outside the eight. Um, disappointing season for Chop. Uh, he's not here to defend himself, but you know, I did a trade with him early in the year, which was fair at the time, end up you know being tilted towards my favour. But he, it was a pleasure to do business, Chop. He's not a... He's not afraid of, of coming forward. He's not afraid of making the move. And there's a couple of players in the league that could probably learn a thing or two from him. 
But at the moment, um, exceeding watching the rest of the AFL fantasy season on fi- on the sideline, um, he's got the trophy. I don't know if he's got the trophy. Apparently has it. But, uh, you know, he's potentially going to be handing handing it back to um, to Catters. I think Catters has got it. Yep. No, that's my tip for the rest of the year. Uh, questions. Now, there's a couple of questions from... Uh, some of our loyal listeners, and we got, you know, one, um, you know, who's going to win the food challenge? Look, I think Damon will win. I don't know if he's he's as clear favourite as he was maybe, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, when he was in his peak eating, you know, his peak eating um, in his career. But, uh, like, he is probably the... The dollar sixty, dollar fifty favorite at the moment in a three horse race. I think he's he's definitely got the uh, the skill set. Um, you know he's you know, he's been you know if he's stoned, we're fucked because um, he's going to put away probably f- at least four dozen wings in ten minutes. Like he could easily swallow chicken bones. So you know. We'll see how he goes, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not expecting to get anywhere close to him. Um, I'm probably gonna beat Chop, see him off, and then uh, quietly wind down. You know, if I if I notice there's some weakness in Damon, maybe I'll challenge him. But uh, at this point in time, I'm probably just gonna err on the side of uh, uh, not coming last, um, and then hopefully not doing too much damage to myself. That. Uh, the next few days are a write-off, but I don't have that uh, luxury at the moment. Like Chop does, you can just lay on his ass and do nothing if he wants. Uh, another question: uh, Can anyone confirm if this is Losh's car? I'm looking at it, and no, that is not Damon's car. Uh, Damon drives a Datsun. If you see it, license plates, Loshy. Um, yeah, he's a. He's not into – this is a Ford Ranger. It says Carlton Mate on the back. Um, we are the Navy Blues. Big sticker. Uh, he could he could get the sticker, but he wouldn't drive a ute. He's not that kind of guy. You know, I can't see him, you know, driving a ute. He's not really, you know, you know that sort of Aussie larrikin bloke. He's, you know, it doesn't – his profile doesn't fit a ute. You know, he, he's got a uh, – is it a Datsun or is it a – Oh, it's those. Oh, Hyundai Gets. That's what he's got. Yeah, he drives a Hyundai Gets. Um, look, it's. I've seen him in the Gets. It's perfect car for him. It's a nice, um, you know, light green color. Um, yeah, he's got he's got tints. Like he's he's done it up a little bit. He keeps it clean. Um, but that's just the way he rolls. He's never been like a new guy. He's not a. He's not a. You know, he, uh, Camping sort of bloke. I mean, you know, I know he's told you that he's he's camped, but that's a lie. He's never done that before. Um, he couldn't handle being outside his house for longer than you know a couple of hours. Um, you know, hence why he couldn't come to this podcast tonight. He's just too relaxed at home. You know, he's just chilling out. Um, but yeah, well, we, we've uh, we've got through half an hour tonight, guys. I think that's that's as good as we probably could have hoped for uh, from me. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. You know, it, it was an interesting experience. I don't really want to do it again. I miss uh, I miss Damon. I miss Chop. Now, hopefully, we we are back to normal next week when we do the Wings Challenge. We want everyone to get down there. 
Nedlands, Varsity Bar, um, be there from 6.30, um, get around it. We want some, you want some cheering. We want some, um, you know, we want people to, you know, to pick a side. You know, I'm, I'm suspect Dane wants to get going to get the majority of the crowd. Um, I'm happy to, to, to upset the apple cart if I can, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, you know, prep's going to be key. Going to start it from, um, you know, probably lunchtime, um, Webby, my boy, he gave me a few tips last week. He said, uh, make sure you eat something fatty beforehand. So I'll probably get a, a cheeseburger or something, a toasty in, um, you know, for myself. But, you know, fundamentally, you know, I'm going to try and do my best beat chop, sea chop off, and then uh, and then see how we go from there. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. It was, a, it was an interesting experience, but I'm not going to do it again. Um if I can avoid it. So um, for everyone who's listened, thank you. And I look forward to to seeing you guys all all, this, uh, all next week at the Varsity Bar in Netherlands for the Devil Wings Challenge. Follow the boys on Instagram and Twitter at any given take.